Hey there, it's Ashley Stahl here, counterterrorism professional turned career and business coach, and I am here for those moments when you look in the mirror and you realize it's time to make some sort of radical change or U-turn in your life so that you can stop operating on cruise control and start living your life on purpose. So join me here on the U-Turn podcast every single week where you're going to be hearing from inspiring, insightful guests, be it CEOs, spiritual leaders, love experts, or of course, yours truly, so that you can become your very best self without having to take life so seriously. And don't forget, if you head on over to U-TurnPodcast.com, that's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N Podcast.com, you're going to get access to show notes, which have books and resources mentioned by our guests, as well as access to one of my four free e-courses over at U-TurnPodcast.com. Whether you want to land a new job you love, get clarity on the best career path for you, launch that dream business, or deepen your romantic relationships. Okay, enough about me. Let's get this party started with this week's guest. This episode is brought to you by Cake Publishing, ghostwriting, publicity, and copywriting house there to help influencers and entrepreneurs get their voice out there in a much bigger way. If you're ready to make a bigger impact, head on over to cakepublishing.com. That's C-A-K-E publishing.com. Hey, everybody, it's Ash Stahl here again at the U-Turn Podcast, and this week we are bringing on my friend Mark Groves. Um, you'll find him on Instagram at Create the Love. He is a connection specialist and expert on love and positive relationships, and oh my God, if you read some of his content, you will realize... The entire divorce rate would go down if all of us were just friends with Mark or embodied any level of Markness. So feel free to tune in now to learn how you can really, really deepen your connections in your life, be it in your relationship with yourself and in your relationship romantically. Mark is going to throw it down. I just wanted to kind of get you... I wanted to ask you, what got you started on the topic of relationships? Was there some sort of pain in your life or direct experience that really makes this close to your heart, this topic? Yeah, I remember hearing that quote, uh, turn your mess into your message. And that very much uh, (laughs) has been the Mm -hmm. outcome of my life. Um, So I used to actually be in sales and uh, I used to do sales in hospitals which feels like a lifetime ago. And I also used to develop training programs on the science of rapport and influence. And I still do work in that area. But what happened was, is I had a relationship that ended when I was 27, I was engaged. And when it ended, I thought to myself, like, how did I get here? Mm -hmm. Like, how did I get so disconnected from me? Mm -hmm. And how come I can talk about anything else but my emotions? Like, this didn't make sense to me. I was like, well, it's not a skill set issue, but I claimed it was. Like, oh, I'm just bad at communicating my feelings. Mm. No, I just was bad at, I, I was great at communicating. I just didn't want to communicate about my feelings. <laughs> so, mm. but I didn't know why. And so when my relationship ended, I was like, wait, no one taught me how to love. No one taught me how to maintain a relationship. No one taught me how to be a great partner. You know, I knew some inherent things from, you know, everyone says, what's the key to great relationships? And you always, you know, more often than not hear communication. Um, But yet none of us, you know, for the majority of us are not excellent communicators when it comes to relationships. So 
I started to study all the science of relationships because I was very much um, in that linear, more you know, scientific space at the time, um, and I still love the research on relationships. And then it uh, sort of, you know, for the first time in my life, I asked myself, like, why am I on this planet? I'd never asked that question before. I just it's thought a I was... great question to be considering. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I I think the beautiful thing about relationships is, you know, we. I think that all rock bottoms are access to ourselves in that when you finally hit a rock bottom, quote unquote, for anyone, and that can be defined by anybody because it's their own experience, um, we are, we no longer have the energy to pretend and to keep up the facade. And so what happens there is we are, and I think rock bottoms we find more often anywhere is in relationships than anything else and if we hit rock bottoms in anywhere else in our life it's usually because of relationship that we even started to do all the uh, weird shit in the first place so uh, by weird i mean like addictions and all those sorts of things mm-hmm. um and i say that without judgment because you know i've certainly been in all those spaces so it, we have this opportunity during heartbreak during with you know potential relationships ending um, through sickness, through um, other people getting sick, through all the job loss, through bankruptcy, through um, illness uh, or dysfunction with our own body, we have this invitation to finally let go of the stuff that's not us, to actually feel feelings we haven't felt, to to get to know ourselves. And um, that's really what drew me to relationship is I, is I wanted to heal myself. You know, mm-hmm. my mess became my message. And I sort of um, think of it in the ideas that, I became the teacher I always needed and I continue to as I don't know something I learn it and then I teach it um, based on what I know you know someone else might have a different thought or a different theory which is their experience so you know they're more than welcome to it um, so that's sort of how I got into it amazing and I also just there's so much you just mentioned and by the way I love the mess being a message I feel like as an as an information marketer on any level it feels like most people's messes is becoming their e-course, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's great because it's like, man, when I was 17, there, I mean, there was dial-up internet, you know, and there, um, I think the internet was now, it was maybe just coming out. Yeah. But when I was 17, I, you know, I, I went through a breakup and I listened to freaking boys to men, you know, I'm sort of like, that's therapy if I've ever heard Adele of it. didn't exist because <laughs> shit, that's just dark. Just falling and, apart. <laughs> Yeah, right? I'm blowing up over here. But I think, you know, and all joking aside, you know, there's, I didn't have an Instagram person writing to me. I didn't have a mail to guy. You know, I have my dad who's really wonderful, but I also didn't want to share some things with him. Of course. You know, and I felt shame or embarrassment going to male friends or coming to, you know, there's some friends that I could sort of talk about anything and that was great. But, you know, there wasn't someone who was um, light years ahead of me that wasn't involved in my life and I was worried about their opinion. And I think that's a really important thing is today you have access to all these people who they don't care what you choose. They're just there to help you make a choice, hopefully not make it for you because that's not the purpose of guidance or mentorship, but they don't care. Is where most people's information, if we go to like, a priest or a minister or a parent or an aunt or an uncle or a friend, they're also giving advice through their own lens. You know, and I often say to people that if they're in a relationship and they're struggling or the couple are struggling, I I preface that my goal isn't to keep you together. That's not my outcome. 
My goal is for you both to find truth and alignment. And if that means you have a more fulfilling relationship with each other, you likely will. Um, but it also might mean that it's time to bring the relationship to completion. You know, and, and the, if I don't go in with a bias or intention other than to serve, then I'm not directing them towards where I want them to go, which is so easy to take over as human because yes. you don't want to see someone go through a breakup. You don't want to see someone hurt in that sense, but you already see them so disconnected from themselves within the relationship yes. that, that really the breakup is just the completion of and, and really the freedom to become, which we don't usually think um, societally as a breakup or an ending of a relationship being a rebirth or a release or a freedom um, and it being a pathway to actually expressing yourself and seeing where you weren't expressed. Because if you're bad at stuff in relationship, it's magnified. You might have bad boundaries at work or even with your body and food. You will have extremely poor boundaries in relationship. Everything is magnified by romance, I yes, find. Yes, yes, so beautiful. And, God, you, I mean, holy shit, Mark. Now I have so many questions for you. But I think, <laughs> and by the way, as I'm listening to you, I hear the old dial-in sound of the internet. Now that you talked about it, like, ah, like, you've got mail. Oh, my God. Like, what? Um, I mean, was harder to access thing because it took about six minutes for a boob to load. I know. You know so now <laughs> Too on demand. Out of control. Yeah. Well, so a couple a couple of topics that are really coming up is number one, denial. You're talk you you mentioned that a lot of people you're not there to help people stay together if that's not what is the truth for them and that that's what mm -hmm. they come to. You're a great facilitator in that way. But I'm also curious about how you can help someone who's maybe listening realize if they're in denial, which we both know they already kind of know if they're in denial. Um, yeah, but there's a lot of that. And I think, you know, even in my life, I have a few friends who are trying to convince guys who are awful fit for them to marry them. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. number one, what can you do as a friend and what can you do for yourself if you're the one in denial? Man, I mean, you're signing up for an awful life if you're trying to convince someone to love or choose you. I mean, right away, the message that you're sending to yourself is... Um, I'm only worthy if they choose me. So there's an outside validation that's still occurring, which, you know, we have to understand that there's sort of uh, an evolutionary biological part that's always at play here. And once we begin to just honor that, and, and I'll get back to denial because that's an important aspect of it. And that's like, you know, as a child, till you're about seven or eight, you're really, your your brain is open, you're a sponge, you're just learning. And so, um, really, the world is about you. You know, you need food. You need to be. You have your diaper changed. You need all these things. So, because the world is about you, in order to survive, if things don't go well, it gets internalized. So, if mom and dad aren't around, it's because you're not enough. You know, like these types of of beliefs that get forged in early age. But what happens is, is I, I sort of think of it like. Um, we are becoming who we need to be in order to be loved by those around us. And that's a tribal survival evolutionary thing. So when you're born into a family, you're learning how to be part of that family. What role keeps you at peace? You know, what role allows you to minimize conflict and be loved as much as you can? So you're learning how to become a bit of an actor in sense. Mm. You know, you're not necessarily, you're going to let go of aspects of yourself. And, and I'll get into more specifics on that in that, Let's say you're born into a culture 
that is repressive. Well, that's not in our truth to be repressed as a soul. It's not in our truth to be repressed in terms of even the religion that we're born into. As much as people might, I mean, you could think about it from an existential point of view. You're born into the family that you're born into, so you can learn certain lessons and become, you know, whatever, which I think is a beautiful thought. And you're born into a religion and you don't choose to be Christian or Catholic or Muslim or Hindu. You're born into a belief system. And then you see what people do is they sort of conveniently live in that belief system. But they, you know, the people who cling most tight to their identity of their belief system are often the ones that are most extreme, right? Mm -hmm. So what's happening is, is that we're fostering this. If you love me, then I love me. If you choose me, then, I, then I'm chosen, then I'm worthy. If I practice the religion in this way, or I'm this type of human, I choose this type of job, like go do a finance degree, become a doctor, don't do arts, you won't make money, right? That's a classic message for a sentence. So what do we do? We hide our dreams in order to gain the applause of those around us. Now, what's happening all along is we're selling our own selves out in order to be loved externally. So self-worth is, if you choose me, if you approve of me, then I'm approvable and then I'm loved. Mm -hmm. And so it's outside of us. So when you're convincing someone to choose you or marry you or love you, you're really seeking security. You're seeking, you're seeking validation of your worth. But they don't even know they're convincing them sometimes, right? Like I have a girlfriend who's with a guy who just clearly doesn't have uh, like has some work to do, you know, in the way he treats other people and, you know, he has a temper and stuff like that. But she really is convinced she should be with this guy. And I think a lot of people make a story mark like, I feel like our souls are supposed to be together and I'm supposed to help him do yeah. all of this work. Like that, that story mark, it kills me because I'm hearing it way too often. I knew a woman in my master's in spiritual psychology who her husband of 10 years, she found out had a hidden credit card with 300 grand of strippers and blow and all sorts <laughs> of vacations literally sitting on the credit card. And he'd been cheating on her and, you know, it's like, and then, you know, I come to turn to her and I'm like, how are you doing? And she's like, my soul is supposed to be in this life with this person. And oh, we Lord. are going to work through this. Yes. Yeah, so like, how does, how do we wake someone up? Especially, <laughs> how do we get there? Right? Yeah. Cause like, number Oof. one, it's like, have you heard yourself saying that your soul is supposed to be doing this work with this person? Let's consider, but you know, what do we do? Well, that's sort of like the spiritual bypassing yes. of, of codependence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like. Yeah, I'm here to heal people and to fix people. Well, turn it into your job, not your relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're going to be codependent, at least make it a way of living. You know, I'd say that anyone who's out there helping people in a healthy way um, has some sense of the desire to serve, which probably comes from the desire to heal people. Just you don't want to make that your your job. Mm -hmm. or, sorry, not your job, your relationship. Um, but you have someone like this woman that you're talking about who's clearly doesn't believe she's worthy of a great relationship. What can you do other than deliver them straight talk and then invite them to be in, in their truth? But, you know, for her, that's true for her right now. And she hasn't realized that there is deeper information that's available to her. And, you know, it's sort of like, um, you know, as a friend, what do you do? You got this other friend who's in a relationship with a guy who's got some issues. Well, on, on a deep level, she must believe she's worthy of that guy. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's probably also denial at play. She doesn't acknowledge or is aware. 
she might be aware that these things are going on, but she denies their truth because if she actually accepted their truth, then she would have to change her yes. choices, right? And then she'd be alone. But because we put our validation in other people choosing us, that means she's not worthy of being loved. I mean, as a society, what do we reward? We reward being in a relationship. And when you're in a relationship, we have a hierarchy. We say if you're married, you're doing better than people who are engaged. If and you're you engaged, get a tax break better. too. You get tax yeah. breaks. There's like social constructs to encourage it, especially through the government. Yep. Yeah, so we have to see that we're part of a system and we either let the system play us or we use the system to our benefit. And, and you know, look, we celebrate anniversaries. Mm-hmm. When is the last time you heard someone celebrate the quality of the relationship? <laughs> that you know so so we're rewarded for being in a relationship and if you're not in one you get asked what's wrong with you why haven't you found anyone like it's a disease yeah. you know so we're in a, in a way breaking free of that you know we're sort of like the generations that are coming are are really seeking more from relationship and that's why when you see someone who's been married for 30 or sorry for like 75 years and they go oh well we take relationships seriously and these people today they leave so quick and, you know, that's sometimes true. And that's also sometimes true that people stayed far too fucking long. Yes. And so so there's always going to be areas outside the bell curve. And yes. there, there's always going to be judgment and projection from the opposite. But, you know, all we know is our own truth and what we want from a relationship and what we desire and what we need. And we might wake up midlife, you know, 50 years old, having been married since we were 19 and realize, holy shit, this isn't the life I ever wanted. And you either stay in the relationship or invite it to change or you leave. I mean, there's options there, but a lot of people just stay in that relationship. Yes. And a couple. And by the way, Mark, first of all, I just was I couldn't help but drop the thought of what a clusterfuck it would be in my inbox if I saw a couple email me saying we're just celebrating that we're happy. Like I wouldn't even right. know what to do with that. kind of. You're invited to celebrate that we have it together. We're excited about it. Well, I think we need to get excited about getting past a conflict that we've never made it past or for the first time having a conversation and actually leaving it feeling understood. Or um, I think as a couple, make it your goal that you learn how to calm your nervous systems in conflict, learn how to handle your vagal nerve tone. Because, you know, like, you know, getting back to that idea of, you know, spiritual bypassing, it's a lot like religious bypassing. It doesn't, you know, choose God, choose love, choose. But we still have anger. We still have grief. We still have all these other things that are just important emotions. You know, anger changes worlds and, and, and anger is what causes revolutions and anger. You know, look at the Me Too movement. What's that? What that's doing? Yes. So anger is important. Anger. It's aggression that we're mostly associating anger with. So we sort of have this unhealthy space that we're afraid of. Um, just to final, finalize that thought on denial, denial is very much an aspect of survival. If you're a little kid growing up in a home where there's abuse or a lot of aggression, it, we often have to leave our hearts and go into our heads. We have to deny the environment we're in. And so what happens is, is that we in order to survive, we deny. So you might see someone in an adult relationship dealing with, you know, like Mr. $300,000 strippers and whatever, blowjobs and whatever he's doing with his money. (laughs) You see someone, someone in a relationship with a partner like that it has to be in denial, but it's likely because they, they aren't even connected into their hearts anymore. So you take, you see people who are incredibly intelligent and, and man, I used to do this. I'm not calling myself incredibly intelligent, but I used to do this in that I could intellectualize anything. Yes. 
I could use, and so people are really smart, you know, and on average, people are really intelligent. So really intelligent people can use things like spirituality and intellect in order to make things make sense and bring less cognitive dissonance to their bodies. Because, you know, this woman saying, well, this is the, a great relationship. This guy lies to me. He cheats on me. He spends tons of money. He has a secret life. The only way I can imagine even come to some sort of peaceful conclusion for my soul to be in this currently and, and to not feel the shame of having missed all the red flags, because mm -hmm. I guarantee there were red flags, um, is to say, this is my uh, twin flame. Yes, yes. And this makes me want to ask you, well, you, you, you touched on a couple areas. Number one is managing your conflict and paying attention to how your nervous system does. So I want to ask you more about that. But also, because yeah. I know a lot of people probably, when they see conflict, there's something that's obviously happening in their nervous system that they might not be aware of. But secondly, anybody who's listening now, like what suggestions do you have for them personally to wake up out of denial or question if they're in denial and take some sort of action on it, whatever that might be? Well, to be able to do an accurate audit of your life, you know, can you, there's a great uh, tool, which, you know, you could put it in the show notes, I'm sure, which is the wheel of life, which a lot of life coaching programs use, which allows you to shade in and, you know, like eight, nine areas of your life out of 10, you know, if you were to color in out of 10 on, for each aspect, and then you get this really great visual representation of how your life really is. But you know, it'd be really powerful is if you filled it in about you and then you got three of your best friends to fill it in about you. Yes. Because that's where you'll see truth of what you're not acknowledging. Like I've certainly been friends with, um, you know, a really good old friend of mine was in a relationship and married to a guy who was a fucking crazy dude. And <laughs> no matter how much we told her, she couldn't get out because, you know, this is when we're in relationships with people who are abusive and people who are in these states, we almost need like outside um, therapy in order to navigate that because we are placing our self-worth as, you know, gaslighting really does that to people where, you know, I, I think of here's what happens is when we do not believe the truth, like we know that someone's cheating on us. We know we see their phone light up. We've seen, you know, titty pics or dick pics being sent or whatever. We've God seen yeah. We have the evidence. It's like the only thing we need is a tattoo that says he's cheating, right? Like, or she's cheating. But what happens is, is we hear them say, it wasn't me. It's not that. I get, you know, they have excuses. It's a spider bite. It's not a hickey. I got, I heard that yeah. one from a friend this I got week. chlamydia from a toilet seat. You oh know. my God. But, but you, and, and it sounds funny, but what's actually happening is when you deny the truth, when you deny what is real, you have to detach from reality. So that's denial, right? To survive. But then you are living in a world where lies are the truth. So what happens is when you, when you get in that situation, you start to feel like, I feel like I'm going fucking crazy. Yeah. Because then you say to this guy or girl, like, but I saw the text or I saw the, nope, you're crazy. You're making it up. Someone made up a, you took a photo and you're like, did I? I don't know. Do you know? You yeah. start to lose touch. 
And that's because you are literally living in a world where lies are the truth. So you do feel like you're going crazy because you have to go crazy in order to live in that world. I love what you're saying. And I also think that your action point for everybody just to really highlight that those of you who are feeling right now as you're listening, like, God, I'm not. And, and by the way, you know, you're not happy in your relationship if, you know, it's hitting you with a two by four consistently and you're always trying to figure it out. I mean, are there any other indicators, Mark, um, that can point to someone who's in denial outside of, because I know taking action and doing this exercise you just recommended is incredible of having friends do an assessment for you and give you feedback on what they're seeing your life looking like. Uh, and I, and friends are so powerful because they're a neutral party. They just want you to be happy. And that's why it, you know, it's always surprising. I think when somebody's in a relationship with someone or in a job and they're convincing themselves it's great when all their friends are saying, this is not great. Um, and then there's always that dynamic of the person saying, well, I, it's my life and I need to do what's best for me, which is undoubtedly true. But yeah. at the same time, your friends are great mechanisms for feedback because they love you and they are a neutral party. They just want you to be happy. Uh, but what, what can you suggest for someone to at least wake up to it when they're being a bit gaslit? Like, are there any signs in your day-to-day -day life? Is it that you're always fighting? Like, what, what are some pointers? Well, life probably feels like you're pushing a big rock up a big hill and it probably feels like you're like your own marketing plan, you know, creating this outwardly perfect experience and your Instagram is filled with your great butt and, you know, like just these things where we're like, you know, your great trips and you're just trying to project perfection. Um, and you see this when people chase stuff, you know, they buy nice things and they buy fancy cars and they make their life look luxurious. But, you know, that deep down there's far more stuff going on now it, to wake up to what's actually happening in your life, which I said, rock bottoms invite you there. Right. Mm -hmm. And 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 to wake up to it requires also a lot of compassion and a lot of humility to say, wow, like if I'm going to now take responsibility for my life. And I'm going to take responsibility for everything I've chosen in my life. Then I also have to take responsibility for hurting other people. I have to take responsibility for hurting myself. I have to take responsibility for making choices that were not great. And so the compassion piece comes from you were literally doing the best you could with what you had. Mm -hmm. Now, now that you have this. So like I had to wake up to that. I was like chasing women to avoid having to deal with pain of a breakup. I was drinking too much to get rid of my values. I was having one night stands, waking up feeling guilty, and then wondering why I woke up feeling guilty. And then one day, I remember this friend of mine, I was saying, I'm looking for a relationship. And I had this girl that I, you know, every week about, we would hook up for like a year. And neither of us wanted a relationship, so to speak, right? And my friend, who is a great friend, mutual friend of that girl and I, this other girl was like, hey, I'm just out of a relationship. I'm looking for a nice guy to just have a good time with, but I don't want a relationship. And she's like saying to um, my friend, hey, um, isn't Mark single? He's a good guy, but he's not looking for a relationship. And so the, <laughs> what happened was the two, the girl who I was hooking up with happened to be also friends with the girl who had just asked this question. Uh -huh. Yeah. And so the girl I was hooking up with was like, hey, I hear if you don't want a relationship, you're the guy. And I was like, oh, fuck. Mm -hmm. And like as much as I was saying, oh, I want a great relationship and I'm this person, I was what I was choosing. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I had to get hit smack in the face with an external audit that said, you're being a douchebag. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I had to really see that I'm not what I say I want. I am what I choose. Mm 
Mm. And that was a really huge moment for me, you know, amongst many uh, cosmic two by fours to the head that had to wake me up to finally say, okay, when's enough enough? Yes. Um, and that, you know, that's why, you, you know, in essence, we, we have to lose parts of ourselves to know they're lost. Yes. You know, and that's the wake up call. And this brings me to ask you again about rock bottom, because I think this is a wonderful topic to explore, not just in love, but in life is the concept of hitting rock bottom. Uh, what do you have to offer for someone who feels like they're at rock bottom, be it in their relationship or just in life in general, however you want to speak about it? Is, is just begin to be curious. You know, the moment you start to just acknowledge and say, I'm not doing so good. Or is this, because, you know, usually we often get this feeling where, like, we think, is this what life is supposed to feel like? Yeah. Because it doesn't feel so good. Mm -hmm. And then you hear other people say, well, when you get married or when you get a job, you got to do stuff you don't like. And, you know, it is true that if you want to, you know, work up at a company or you want to build a fantastic relationship, you're going to have challenges. But it doesn't mean that your life should only be a challenge, that your baseline should be bliss and all the work and challenges that go into building that is, is the, the journey, the juice is in that journey. But, it, you know, we are often stuck in this cycle of, well, I hear this is how it's supposed to feel. You can't go after your dreams because, you know, no one can become, you know, a paid photographer or a professional, blah, 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 blah. But that's not true. We know we, we only need to know one person who's doing it to disprove that. So our belief is is keeping us safe. Mm -hmm. So really just being I mean, I can't emphasize enough how important it is to just be able to wake up to like you could do it in your own, you know, risk free environment. You can grab a journal and you can say, OK, my goal for this journal is to just tell the truth about myself, Beautiful. who I am being, how I'm being received by the world. And, you know, like, sit in that, feel that. Here's how I've sold myself out. Here's how I've disconnected from myself. Here's how I've abandoned myself, my dreams to keep other people, to make others happy. For me, that was a long process. You know, that took me a while. And it also took me a while to get everything that wasn't in alignment back into alignment. You know, to say, like, wow, who really am I? Because mm -hmm. I didn't know who I was because I'd spent years projecting this other idea of who I wanted people to think I was, who I wanted people to see me as. Because mm -hmm. I was afraid that if they saw who I really was, they'd see that I was a sad, broken-hearted guy who got left by a woman for another guy. Mm -hmm. I was so terrified. I, and so instead, I got my frosted tips in my hair, you know. And oh, I perfect. Backstreet's back. All right. <laughs> exactly. So I, I would, like, want to be seen as this, like, guy who could get girls, even though deep down I got rejected by a woman and was terrified of being seen mm. as that. I was terrified. So I would tell stories of conquests and, you know, I would – anything to distract people from seeing that I was – you know, in a lot of ways, I felt weak. I felt really weak. Well, this also lends itself, I think, to, and I'm, I'm just picturing you with frosted tips right now, and it's really <laughs> a good time, but um, a little Nick Carter action. But, you know, what are some signs that people are insecure? Because you were saying you're talking about your conquests, and I do think that whether it's career or relationship, a lot of people show insecurity through projecting conquests of sorts. So what are some signs for someone who's listening right now to think about for themselves or in their relationships, friendship or romantic, that somebody is projecting insecurity? 
Well, I mean, any chasing of external changes, you know, and I say that with love and compassion for other spaces, you know, and, and there's always going to be caveats to everything I say. So if some of this is triggering for people, just know that I'm generalizing. So your situation might be different. Disclaimer, um, disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I don't want to hurt people's feelings who it is a different situation. But, you know, I see all these really wonderfully beautiful people online get lip injections. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, why? It looks awful, in my opinion. <laughs> you know, it looks like the lip is now holding on for dear life. We know that the injection is there. Like, it's obvious. And... And, and it right away is a sign to me, like, I need to change what I look like in order to be chosen. Mm. You know, and, and that, and I, hey, same, I gave the example of lip injections, steroids, <laughs> you know, fancy cars. It's not to say that all these things aren't really nice, but I think of like your classic Instagram picture where you see like someone with their hand on a driving wheel with a nice watch and the car's like a Porsche or something like that. Mm hmm it's like if you have a Porsche and you drive it around and you love it, but you don't need to show everybody that you have one, then that's a whole different thing. But, it, but in, in psychology, we call these trappings, that these are things that allow – like we are inherently – we want to choose, especially women are more evolutionary driven to choose men who have power, who have money, who have strength, and that's evolutionary, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And men tend to be driven towards women who are young, who have shiny hair, who have big lips, who have a hip-to-waist ratio of 0.8 or something like that. And that's because women have hidden ovulation. They're the only species. If you look at, like, monkeys who are ovulating, their genitals swell. So we can't tell when a woman generally is ovulating. It's a secret <laughs> until that, we, if, unless we have a really bad mood and you feel it. Then we know... You're doubting ourselves. Yeah, you're <laughs> shedding the endometrium at that point. Yeah, the 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 thing is, we then associate um, um, birth or or fertility, sorry, with youth. Mm -hmm. So that's why when you look at um, marketing to women, it's to market youth. Mm -hmm. So so that just being able to see that, like, what are we doing to avoid doing the work? Mm. You know, like, have you ever seen that meme that says you don't need bigger boobs, you need to read more books? Yes. Yeah, and I, I thought, wow, how how true. And, you know, don't get me wrong, like, I'm certain, I used to have frosted tips. You know, I used to take a <laughs> hair loss drug. Oh, you know, I was really worried about how I would be seen externally because my whole self-worth was based on if women chose me, mm -hmm. if I could get a girl. And, man, when I had to start developing my self-worth from within by choosing great things, by learning about myself, by getting to know my pain, then all of a sudden, no one could give it to me or take it away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then my love for another wasn't dependent on whether they chose me. Well, what about, Mark, if there's like a differentiator internally for people to check in with themselves? Because, yeah, I mean, definitely the lip injections, and I, I live in L.A., so it's like I can see the surgery being addictive and people stop looking yeah. human. Yeah. But is there a way to internally check in of like, Hey, I love myself and I don't really need lip injections to feel good, but from a neutral place, I think I would like it. I think it would, it would look nice. Like, is there a way for people to check where they're coming from when they're making decisions to? Totally. You know and what that's I mean? why I added that caveat of mm -hmm. like, there might be a situation, you know, like I, I have a really good friend who had kids and she said that her second child blew up her left breast. So she got breast implants. Right. And, you know, and, and I know another woman who's so funny who had a frown line when she was like 22 straight across the middle of her head. 
So she got that filled with Botox. And and it changed how she acted towards people, you know? All of a sudden it changed her whole demeanor. And that's cool. So I think the real and you know, same with the girl who whose breast blew up for her child when she said tells a story. It's funny how she tells <laughs> But I think, again, you know, that's this really beautiful space to say, is choosing this loving me? Yes. And that's, you don't need it. That's why I added such a big disclaimer is because it doesn't matter what I think. It's what you think. Mm -hmm. You know, and it doesn't, at the end of the day, and I said, that probably sounds, you know, a bit um, uh, contradictory at this point. But what I mean is if you could check in with yourself and say, is this choice loving me? And be honest with yourself. Don't like all of a sudden you know, create all these different changes in in who you are in order to, to get that. But like for me, I came, I stopped frosting tips. I came off the drug that uh, was for hair loss. I did because I realized how many things I was doing in order to seek outside validation. So I started to take the power of those things away. And I started to have to really feel into my insecurities. Wow, that's so interesting the way you just stated that, that in order for you in order for you to get your power back it was just about not focusing on those things and giving them weight what a interesting sort way of looking like, at it well it's sort of like when you stop you know so i said before that when you were young we place our self-worth in being chosen and things outside of us and that usually is how we end up living our lives for the mm -hmm. most part till we don't and that's why you know you know, we talk about beliefs drive choices. So if I believe I'm worthy of a great relationship, if I choose anything that is not that, I won't believe it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when someone says to me, I, I only date assholes, and they're like, what, what should I do? And I'm like, well, stop dating assholes. That's actually the very simple way of doing it. You know, like I don't eat, I hate Brussels sprouts. I don't eat Brussels sprouts anymore. That's how simple it is. Mm -hmm. But obviously there's something more complex and that's the belief. The belief drives it. So, you know, I had this, this woman say that to me. I date assholes, but I, and I said, well, do you want a great relationship? And she said, yeah, I do. And I said, no, you don't. And she said, yes, I do. And I was like, no, you don't. And she was like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> but what ended up, I ended up showing her is that you, whatever you choose is what you believe. Mm -hmm. So if you then say, if yeah, I like love if you myself, know, if you want to know what somebody believes, just look at their life, right? Exactly. And so your belief system, what you believe about yourself, if you want to change your beliefs to go from, I am not worthy of to, I am worthy of the greatest way to change a belief is to short circuit. It is to make a choice that completely contradicts it. And that's why, Choices and self-worth are symbiotic things in that um, if I have a really strong boundary, like let's say I break up with someone or there's a, you know, an, a poor relationship with someone, you know, we're on the subject of dating assholes. Mm -hmm. um, if I have a strong boundary with someone who's an asshole, the, the message I send to them is I have a high level of self-worth. The message I send to myself is I'm worthy of being respected. Yes. Now, because I chose the boundary, I've now chosen self-worth. But the moment I let a boundary go, my self-worth goes. Mm. So, so that shows people like self-love or self-worth, which are really synonymous, is not an outcome. It's not a destination. It's a, it's a, it's a life. It's, it's choosing to not go out to the club till four if that's just not part of your life anymore, whatever. Not that I'm shaming going to the club. I'm just saying like, for whatever you want in your life right now and is in alignment for you, it's like just checking in with yourself. Is going out tonight choosing me? 
Mm. No, like just be honest. Yes, then go. You know, sometimes choosing ourselves is having ice cream and watching a Netflix marathon. You know, and and just finding balance. Of course, balance is key. Mm-hmm. But just allow yourself these excuses. You know, like for me, the rule I made was I will always live at my highest level of knowledge. Mm. And speaking so, of, oh, keep going. Go ahead. Well, and and just that when I learn something, I'm demanded to change myself. It's like truth comes first for you. Yeah, because I really felt like, man, I I learned a ton of shit young and never changed. I just kept repeating. Yeah. But I, to be honest, I was just so afraid of pain. I had to leave my heart because my heart hurt and I didn't want to acknowledge it and deal with it because it was just overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And so to go back into, and you know, I'm like say, 19 years after that really serious heartbreak and I have, you know, in, in group uh, courses in therapy processed that, you know, mm-hmm. so... Like, I'm on the journey with everyone else. None of this comes from, like, hey, I'm on the ivory tower telling you how to do everything. I'm like, <laughs> I've transcended. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, my sleeves are up, too, and I'm learning how to build a great relationship every day, and that comes through, you know, being open and honest with myself so that I can provide the same space for my partner. If I can't hold a calm nervous system space for myself, how do I do that in the face of rejection or conflict with anyone, including the workplace? That's why, you know, the workplaces and we get triggered all the time in the workplace, too. We get triggered by friends, by family. But romantic love, when you're facing rejection and abandonment, it, de- it demands a deeper, more monk-like Zen version of you than most people have cultivated. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you were talking about living at your highest level of learning, I think everybody has a different precursor to their decision making, right? Like um, one of my dearest friends, Layla Martin, she's a Tantra expert. And so her first precursor to any decision is, does this interfere with my practice in Tantra? And for you, it's truth, which it all could be the same thing. Same with me. Mm-hmm. Like I'm willing to face pain in my life to honor truth at all times. Um, maybe it'll take me a, a second to process it and to take action, but I'm on the same page. But I guess what gets me curious is earlier you'd mentioned that there's a lot of research you like to kind of geek out on. And so I'm totally hungry to hear, like, is there any super interesting research communication on communication or relationships that you think everybody listening would love to hear or be surprised to hear? Um, yeah, I mean, there's probably not a lot of publication on um, John Gottman's research. I, I mean, I can yeah. reference a bunch of it. The um, the other thing, too, is I just wanted to point out is remember that in life you can always have a do-over. You can always have a second chance. Like, I, I always think, like, within my relationship with anyone I'm close with is to say, like, at any point I can go back and say, I'm sorry I didn't do that so well. I'd like a do-over. And, and and that's how we learn. That's how we go from being reactive to then going and apologizing and creating connection where there was disconnection and then starting to build the skill set in a safe place and you're building trust as you do that. Um, so the you know some of John Gottman's research, people would know it from Malcolm Gladwell's book Blink where he would take newlyweds and he'd put them in a bed and breakfast overlooking Lake Washington and he'd record their conversations. Um, he has lots of, you know, he's sort of like the godfather of relationship research. I wish his social media marketing was better because, man, people need to know a lot of his stuff. And what he saw is that he could listen to, I believe it's over 20 hours of um, couples communicating, and he could predict with over 94% accuracy if they divorce. So um, powerful. 
Yeah, and if he listened to just three minutes of their conversations, he could predict with over 80% accuracy. Incredible. So, yeah, three minutes. So that shows you how powerful our words are. And, you know, I, I, I love the, there's a quote from David Cooper writer, which is, words create worlds. And uh, beliefs are what frame the words we choose. What we believe shapes the choices of our words. And so, and he saw that there are four things that are evident in all couples that divorce. And, and don't get me wrong, they're evident in most relationships. They're just in much higher quantity in couples that divorce. And he calls them the four, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So, uh, <laughs> Sounds very gonna, light. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, get ready. Um, the first one is criticism. And so that's statements that start with you. And we usually say things like, you always, you never. And that's because we want to give absolutes because we don't want our partner to have ever not done that thing because then our whole argument is valid. So we go with absolutes. And, and the way to heal that and to learn how to change your dialogue and your language is to start statements with I. I feel, I'm, I think, in my experience. That way you start with, with your own self and then you don't put your partner on the second one, defensiveness. So defensiveness is very much protecting ourselves, being reactive, protecting our self-worth. And the I'm for sure a recovering defensiveness person. Um, and the antidote to defensiveness is taking responsibility. And it's saying something to the effect when you get feedback. It's saying, I can see some truth in that. Yes. Ugh, that was a hard one to, to swallow when I first started it. Mm. But, but what's – and I'll just do the two others and then I'll come back to that one. The third one is contempt, and that's, you know, uh, the most predictive behavior of divorce is eye-rolling. Wow. Yeah, so so contempt is very hierarchical. It might be using um, humor or sarcasm to dismiss, you know, because sarcasm and humor can be great, but not used in a way to avoid conversation or to talk down to our partner, so condescension. The face of disgust is contempt. And so that's really saying, like, I'm above you, you're below me, and you'll never be met in a relationship if you're contemptuous. And, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons why. You know, we choose people who we won't allow to meet us or we choose poor partners um, or we sabotage good ones because we're so terrified of actually being loved by people. Um, And the last one is stonewalling. And stonewalling is withdrawing, hanging up the phone, not being available. And the um, the antidote to that is hopefully one day staying, right, and <laughs> not leaving. Mm-hmm. But the other one is to be able to say to our partners, like, hey, I just need some time to process this. I will come back to you at this time. Yes. And we, we need to be the person who comes back, and that way we build trust that when I leave to process, I'm the one who returns. Um, the the antidote to contempt, you know, it's probably best to get an outside um, uh, to look at how you create contempt, but also to get an outside therapist to restructure the relationship, um, okay. to help restructure it. Um, defensiveness, though, is a really interesting because, you know, like the moment you say, uh, I can see some truth in that and not be defensive, you've now created connection where there was always disconnection. Beautiful. So that's where I'm saying, like, if we're going to celebrate the depth of a relationship, that would be a, a really big moment for celebration. Any of these antidotes, learning how to restructure your language and conflict, you know, and really having compassion for yourself that you were probably, whatever you know about conflict and how to manage it was taught or not taught at home as a child. And so really recognizing that you have to, you have to have a lot of grace and compassion for yourself 
to give yourself the space, a non-judgmental space, to look at what you were taught, and then also to be able to just compassionately say, how do we get better at this together? You know, like, I want to hear you, I want to understand you, and I want to be understood, for God's sake. So how do we create that together? Yes. You can learn that, you know, Nonviolent Communication is a great book. Um, If people Google uh, Imago Dialogue, that's a, Imago Dialogue is an excellent way for any couple, if they just follow the steps, um, it's a great way for any couple to learn how to re- to calm their nervous systems in conflict. Mm-hmm. You got to remember, like, if a child was, you know, observing their parents in conflict and, you know, they saw their mom throw plates or their dad punch a hole through the wall or, God forbid, hurt each other, it makes sense that they would avoid conflict. It makes sense that their nervous system would go into this place where, you know, you can almost see when people get into conflict that they regress usually to an age, to a young age. Mm-hmm. And that's where their reactivity comes from because their body is in fight, flight, freeze. So they go to the neural pathway that's already being forged. When I'm in threat, I yell. When I'm in threat, I shut down. Mm, so and interesting. So it's learning how to create space. You know, Viktor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, which was Great the book. Book, book. Yeah, which was the first book I ever read on on thinking about my life and existential existence. Um, he has that great quote that says, between stimulus and response, there's a choice. And in that space is where we change our lives. He says something to that effect. Beautiful. So, so the more you can cultivate and create that space, the more you can maintain connection um, in any type of relationship. And what else, Mark? I mean, there's a lot of different things. What do you think keeps people sticking together? Like, are there certain factors, whether it's humor or I know that the core values are a really big deal, but what are some factors when you look at a couple or just a friendship that you feel predicts that they are going to stick together and grow? Well, I mean, first off, you know, when we look at long-term relationship data, um, I think it's Gottman's data, it shows that kindness and generosity are actually the number one qualities of a long-term relationship. Um, the other part is if you look at the uh, Harvard Men's Study, which now includes women, um, it is the longest-running study on happiness, and they followed Harvard graduates with kids who are from poorer neighborhoods in Boston to compare, like, hey, is it where you come from that matters? Is it, you know, because people who went to Harvard are from higher socioeconomic statuses. So but they saw that your health at 80 was not predicted by your cholesterol, your blood pressure. It was predicted by your quality of your relationships. Mm-hmm. So, so it shows you how important relationship quality is. Now, that wasn't just romantic relationships. People can cultivate really beautiful friendships, and that's what really it's about having a support system and a network. And, you know, some of the, I think like some of the, like Harvard, um, Helen Fisher is an anthropologist, and she studies the brain in love. And she took people who had been married for, I believe it was on average, 21.7 years. And they, she asked these people as qualified for the study, are you still very much in love with their partner? So she took people who were very much in love. And then she compared their brain scans to people who were in the honeymoon phase of their relationship. You know, that sort of like first six months puke makes us puke kind of phase. And then she compared it also to people who had just been dumped. So, you know, you have these this uh, cross um, ability to see, okay, honeymoon versus people still in love after long term. And the same parts of the brains lit up in the people who had been together for on average, you know, just almost 22 years as the people in the honeymoon phase of wow. their relationship. Wow, beautiful. 
Yeah, so, you know, long-term maintaining this honeymoon experience is possible. Um, I think, you know, it's a couple things. One is they are, you know, for these people, some of them it was their second and third marriage. Um, and I think it's a lot about picking great partners. And it's also about getting very clear as, you know, it's hard enough to maintain one life, our own, as it is to keep two going in the same direction. Mm. And that's why when you look at relationships, you know, Esther Perel famously spoke about how we we expect from a relationship what we used to get from a village. Or from God, she also said, right? Yeah, from God. Isn't that crazy? And there's a a researcher out of the University of Northwestern Northwestern in Chicago, um, Eli, I forget his last name. But anyways, he wrote a great book called The All or Nothing Marriage, and he talks about how, you know, we used to meet Maslow's lowest needs in relationship, you know, food, sex, shelter, all those things. Um, but now, really, our path to self-actualization can be through relationship. And that's why I think relationships are so powerful, because, you know, whatever you get triggered about, whatever you're not good at in relationship is really this invitation to mastery. It's a, There's wisdom sitting in that conflict that is waiting to be absorbed by you. Mm-hmm. And if you can learn that, then you can grow so that the next time that pattern shows up, you actually are using the wisdom inherent in the pain. So you could think of that like um, when we're talking about people dating, people who aren't good for them. Um, well, you're going to keep choosing those people till you learn something. And when you actually take the wisdom available in the pain from choosing these people, you won't choose them anymore. So existentially, people might use words like you'll raise your vibration. Um, But if you want to go from a scientific perspective, we would say you're just literally changing how you interact with people. So you will no longer keep people who have a different value set and you can't keep people in your life who don't make you believe that you're worthy of more. Mm-hmm. And so right away, like the moment someone treats you shitty or sends a red flag, you're like, peace out, bro. Yeah. And then now you have space where there never used to be space. Yes. Got it. And speaking about early on, Mark, I mean, are there some signs or early red flags in partnership or in just any relationship that you recommend people start to pay attention to? Things that you see as repetitive that you keep hearing Mm. about? Well, I think you need to get very clear on what you want. Yes. You know, I hear a lot of people will sell out what they truly want in order to match someone else. Mm -hmm. You know, you hear someone say, well, I'm looking for a relationship, and the other person's like, I'm not. And you're like, I'm not either. (laughs) I could totally do this banging thing till I make you fall in love with me. Mm -hmm. You know, but it doesn't work that way most of the time. So get very clear on what you want and don't go with the like, I'm afraid to ask for what I truly want. Like go for the thing you want Mm. and then don't sell out what you want for right now for for enough. And I, I think that's a big thing that I see a lot of is people selling out their true intentions. Also create what are your deal breakers? You know, is drinking a deal breaker? Is not drinking a deal breaker? That can be too. Is kids are usually a deal breaker. Smoking's usually a deal breaker. You know, I got very clear on all the things that I wanted in a partner, and then I made very certain that I was doing all of those things. So, you know, I I love that concept, like create a list and then be the list. Mm-hmm. And if you're out of it in alignment with anything on the list, like you can't be like, I want someone who has amazing values and doesn't have one night stands and da 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 and then you're like out at the club dancing on the speaker going home 
and hooking up. You know, like I, you can do all of those things. I'm just saying, if you're going to ask for it on a list, just make sure you're, you're actually living in integrity with that. Um, and you know, I, there's one red flag I actually see fairly often. I'm not sure I like will say it's true all of the time. Mm-hmm. But whenever anyone tries to escalate the relationship really quickly. Yeah, talk to me about that. That is so interesting. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of the reading, I think we throw around the word narcissist too much now. But, you know, I think in, in the context of sociopath, sociopaths and narcissists, you know, um, and gaslighting is, you know, a term used and associated with um, narcissists. But, you know, I think a lot of the times you hear people say, um, oh, well, he or she was a narcissist, and that's why. Well, I think that also um, absolves us a little bit of the responsibility that, don't get me wrong, narcissism can be extremely damaging. So again, my disclaimer, um, and when narcissists end relationships, it's often really painful and completely, they stonewall really hard. Mm. So it can be really painful. Now, my other (laughs) catch to that is, um, whenever, often when I have someone say, oh, well, he or she was a narcissist and I say, so you dated how long? They give me the time. And I go, so there were no red flags and there are almost always are red flags. Mm-hmm. And you know, those could be how they treated them, that they told them they couldn't wear something, that they were trying to control them, that they started to talk about how shitty their friends are. That's a really good sign mm-hmm. that they tried to push you away from family and friends, that they try to make you feel like a liar and you like an idiot. That's all gaslighting techniques. Um, but I would say the escalating of the relationship, taking people on an elaborate trip on like date three you know, where you're like flying them to Ecuador, or whatever, you know, it's not the bachelor. Mm-hmm. You know, so. you, what is that about? What do you think that's about? Well, I just continue to see that the outcome of those, cause that always like makes the hair on the back of my neck kind of go up intuitively mm-hmm. where I'm like, huh? So I, I, I think I, at least I'm just going to theorize that it's about pay attention to this really big thing I'm doing for you, but don't notice the underlying insecurity and uncertainty of who I am. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really this idea of like, pay attention to what's outside of me. You know, ironically, like when they look at the size of engagement rings, um, the greater the size of the engagement ring, the more likely and cost of the wedding, the higher the rate of divorce. (laughs) So, you know, and of course there's a lot of theories behind that, but I think one of them is like, pay attention to the ring and not to us. Mm -hmm. Um, that's at least a theory I have. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, when we really move the relationship along quickly, you know, we really get people in very deep, very quickly. And, and then we sort of have them. And, mm. and that's why, as someone who might identify as empathic or like, I love all out, those are all really great things. Just make sure that you have boundaries around your empathy and your love, because it is actually your responsibility to have boundaries around your heart. It's not um, someone else's responsibility to tell you that they're gaslighting you. That'd be really nice. I mean, <laughs> theoretically, it is their responsibility. Stop gaslighting me. Can you imagine? Yeah, right? Like, stop being a narcissist. They're <laughs> like, I'm really sorry. I'm being a narcissist right now. Um, but, it, I mean, it. we are responsible for what we allow in our lives. Mm-hmm. And I say that with absolute empathy, too, because I've been gaslit, you know, and I've done it on the premise of, oh, I just love all out. But, but and that really, doesn't happen, I, by the way, Mark, just in romantic. I mean, we deal with narcissists at work. We deal with narcissists oh who are God, friends yeah. and they will gaslight us. You can have a boss that's 
some level there's abuse there where they're convincing you of something. I mean, it's the same. It's it's across the board. But yeah, go on ahead. Sorry, I had to interrupt. No, that's and that's exactly a great point to show people that like, if you have someone who pisses you like who is a narcissist and a romantic, and that seems to be your pattern. It's kind of like if you take a kid who's been bullied at a school and you move them to a different school, they generally still get bullied because you haven't changed the underlying energetics of how they show up, their physiology, their their um, you know the, uh, their confidence. Um, which I'm not. I don't you know. I don't want to get into the depths of that, but just to, for people to understand that, you notice how when a narcissist is drawn to certain types of people, people who are accessible, in that sense, they know they can manipulate. And so I, I, I just wonder on like a, a sense if you can begin to learn what is the body language of someone of high self-confidence? What kind of decisions do people of high self-worth make? And you begin to make those. You just naturally can't interact with those people anymore. Interesting. And what are, I mean, obviously I can't help but ask, what do you think are some trademarks of someone um, in partnership or in friendship that has high confidence? Obviously saying no to something that is unacceptable to them versus convincing themselves it's not happening. But are there other trademarks about how they hold themselves that we can look out for? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, from there's a great talk on TED Talk called, um, oh man, it's by Amy Cuddy. Yes, and it's on body Power language. Poses. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so shoulders up, back, chest open, um, um, holding your head high, the way we communicate in in an assertive, but like you can be assertive and kind, you know, but being able to stand in your truth. There's no greater sign of self-worth than someone saying what you did was not okay. Mm-hmm. You know, because the moment someone like doesn't text you back or isn't, you could say, hey, I just wanted to let you know, like when you said we were going to do something Saturday and that you followed up, you would follow up and you didn't, it didn't make me feel like I can trust you. Yes. Well, I could tell you that if a guy likes you, that's going to turn his ass on. <sighs> if a guy is flaky and, unre and not ready, that's going to be the best filter in the world. Mm, separating the wheat from the chaff. Exactly. That's exactly it. It's like <laughs> you have to start seeing dating as sorting. So the more you show up as who you are and actually stand in that truth of like, I am no longer going to tolerate behavior that does not match my level of integrity and kindness. Beautiful. And, and that, you know, that's it. Like, man, every man and woman loves a badass, you yeah. know, loves someone who cares about the things that matter and give zero fucks about the things that don't. Yes, yeah. so attractive, especially even with friendships. I find that I'm drawn to the friends who know how to not give a fuck, you know, because there's an inspiration ah. to that. Yeah, it's amazing. And I know that we have to wrap up, but I wanted to ask a final question. It could be a can of worms, which is about nervous system and conflict. You had brought that up earlier about how different people operate under conflict. Is there anything you could share for everyone who's listening around how they might start to wake up to what their conflict style is or, or some way to be thinking about it differently? Yeah. Um, so usually how we responded as children to frustrations, like dad, mom fought, I went and hid in my room or mom didn't pay attention to me, I caused trouble. Like those types of things, right, mm -hmm. will usually be sort of our standard responses generally as we're adults. Um, 
now they're a great way to understand sort of like what is your cycle in conflict is if you just fill in the blanks of when you do this, I do that, which causes you to do more of that and me to do this. So it could be like when you raise your voice, I withdraw, which causes you to raise your voice more, which makes me withdraw more. Mm-hmm. And what you'll start to see is what is your sort of standard response in conflict. Mm. Um, you know, you can go more in depth on it. Um, and certainly, you know, like when I run uh, a workshop or um, relationships one-on-one with my good friend, Vienna Farron, there's a webinar copy on that on my highlighted stories on Instagram that people can do. And you'll really discover what those things are. I think the the key is to just start to learn how to be in your body again. Mm-hmm. Because when you start to learn where your emotions, where you feel them, because you'll usually, when you're facing um, like rejection, abandonment, conflict, you'll feel your body, your hands get sweaty, your heart rate go up, your throat get locked, your chest start to, you know, maybe your stomach get a little sick. Those are all physiological nervous system responses to feeling threatened. Hmm, so good. Yeah, so it's really about being able to breathe in, and that's why meditation is a great skill to cultivate this, because meditation allows you to just sit in a space where you get to observe yourself. Mm -hmm. And so all the thoughts you've never listened to, all the feelings you've never processed, it allows you to begin to actually get to know yourself, at least in my experience. And then when you're in a conflict, you can take a breath and you can think where I feel this in my body is and if the feeling could speak it would say and that's when you start to see okay what is the actual feeling that I'm having and what word means what thing um, nonviolent communication has a great feelings list because you know often we just need practice we need a lot of practice to learn um, where what our bodies are telling us mm-hmm mm-hmm God, this has been such a great conversation. And just to end this note, um, it reminds me, I just wanted to say of one of my best friend from growing up, she is a neuropsycho, I mean, a, I guess neuropsychologist, if that makes cool. sense. And she, I know, and she works in a psych ward, literally. I told her, I was like, I always knew you'd be in a psych ward someday. I just didn't know <laughs> what side. What side, yeah. Yeah, but she, uh, she told me the other day she had a session with somebody and all of the hair on her body went up for no reason when she walked in. And as this, as he left the session, her supervisor let her know that he was clinically psychotic. And the fact that her hair on her body went up right when she walked in, before he could open his mouth, and he wasn't really showing many body cues, at least consciously, that she noticed, just shows the power of our body and, and how much it can react and be feedback mechanism for us. So I, I love your points, Mark, and this makes sense to me. Uh, so everybody who's listening, Mark is on Instagram at create the love, and it is just such a game changer to follow him. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I came up to Mark at a conference as a, a total swim fan, <laughs> just telling him he kills it. And Mark, where else can people find you? I know a lot happens on create the love at Instagram, but where else can people find more of you? Uh, my website is markgroves.tv, like television, and I have a YouTube channel where I do, um, I post all my Instagram lives on my YouTube channel. I do um, a lot of just different subjects I might just rap on. I put every every video that goes on my Instagram goes on there too, and that's just markgrovestv uh, is my Instagram channel name, but you can find me just through Google if you need to. Um, and I also have a webinar with Al- Dr. Alexandra Salman, and we're talking about sexuality and sex and like being able to understand your own sexuality but also 
because you know so much of um uh, what's going on in our relationship can be very magnified by what's going on in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. So we really wanted to talk about how do you get to know that more? How do you get to understand your own desire, your own orgasms, your own arousal, and how to create that in a relationship to have the best possible experience, which obviously I think we all want. Yes. We're calling it Find Your Me Spot. Isn't that good? I like that. Instead of the G spot, it's yeah, the me spot. Hey, hey that's hey amazing. Yo. Mark, thank you so much for being here. It has been such a pleasure, and I'm sure that so, much so many people listening are going to just get so much out of this. Thank you again. I hope so. And if anyone wants to reach out to me, they can on Instagram or email uh, at connect at markgroves.tv, like television. Hey everybody, this is Ashley Stoll and I am just reflecting on this episode with Mark Groves who's obviously a total genius when it comes to communication and relationships and it sounds like having put a couple decades into his own healing, he has a lot of wisdom to share with so many of you, whether you're dating, whether you're in a partnership and even communication tools that you can use in your everyday relationships. And one of the things that struck me in our conversation was the topic of making a choice and What I mean by that is that he talked a lot about how we might stay in denial or choose to be in this purgatory, for lack of a better term, when really I wanted to offer you what I've learned having been a career coach to so many people and a business coach about choices and commitments. Because one of the areas that I've helped hundreds of clients is in figuring out what they want to do with their careers. And One of the biggest pieces of wisdom I try to impart to them in some way or another is that there's nothing more powerless for you than being in limbo. And so one of the things I like to see coaching clients do is make a choice. That's what I want to encourage them to do. Show up, see what feedback the universe gives them, and course correct along the way. Because one of the most powerless places you can choose to be is in limbo. And in a lot of ways, that's perfectionism and fear of making the wrong choice. But what I want for everybody that I support is to be empowered. And that means making some sort of commitment, playing it out and seeing what feedback the universe gives you so that you can make shifts along the way. And I'm a big believer that there's a lot of purpose on the periphery, and I've said this a million times because I just so deeply believe that if you just make any sort of choice following what feels good or what feels like a maybe for you, you're already taking a massive step on the path to you know, being able to be more intuitive and connect with opportunities that are more synced up and in alignment for you, so I just can't recommend it enough. And another point that I just wanted to remind you is that at any given time, someone is doing what you want to do and the only difference between you and them, because they might not be any more qualified than you, is that they believe they could go out and do it. That's the only difference is what was going on in their mind. And so for you, I just want to offer how important it is to consider the possibility that if you are not doing something you want to do to realize that there is evidence out there of people who are doing what you want to do and the only difference between you and them is that they believed it could be possible. So 
There's a lot that I could go into after this episode with Mark Groves, but he was just such a boss. I love his exercise to do an assessment of your life. And if you're not sure whether you're in denial or whether you're doing something that's right for you, write down the core areas of your life, be it relationship, be it career, be it um, life purpose, health, whatever feels like they're different nuggets of life for you and evaluate yourself and ask your friends to evaluate you back. I just think it's so powerful to ask the people who love you, who they're biased in the sense that they want you to be happy and through that they're going to give you feedback that aligns with their desire for you to be happy and what they think they're noticing in service to you. Uh, so what a great exercise that he recommended there. And instead of making this about me, I just want to leave his episode to stand on its own because I thought it was so incredible. And I uh, can't wait to connect with you next week. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. You can find all of the resources that our guests mentioned on our show notes at U-TurnPodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N Podcast.com. Also, don't forget, on the website, we've got our four free e-courses, whether you want to land a new job you love, get clarity on the best career path for you, launch your dream business, or deepen your romantic relationships. I'll talk to you soon. Can't wait to connect on next week's episode.